Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 9, A Crazy Confusing Conundrum of Kings. In the last episode, we saw how the Lombard king Rothery set out a system of written laws that represented a great turning point in the lives of the people that had started out as a nomadic tribe with no written record. Rothery died in 652, after a reign of 16 years. He was succeeded by his son, Rodoweld, who thought it would not be too big a deal to dishonor the wife of a Lombard noble, and the offended husband put an end to his reign and to his life after only six months. He was succeeded by the son of the Duke of Asti, Aripert, and it seemed that the Catholic Church may have had a hand in the election. Indeed, Aripert was a Catholic and it was under his reign that the conversion of the Lombards to Catholicism saw a great progress, since he banned Arianism altogether in 653. This was about a century after King Althery had banned Catholic christenings. The reign of Aripert was a rather peaceful one, with just a bit of church building going on, in particular the Church of the Saviour in the capital of Pavia. Now, disclaimer here, things are going to get a little confusing. So, if you feel you want to let your mind wander off, go ahead. Have a look at that lovely field over there on the left, or that nice-looking woman or man a few treadmills down, or whatever. I'll try and get your attention later. Aripert decided that on his death, the government of the reign would be divided between his two sons, Perkterit and Godeper. Got that? Perkterit and Godeper, sons of Aripert. Perkterit would govern from Milan and have the northeast, and Godeper would govern from Pavia and have the northwest. Obviously, upon the death of King Aripert, there was almost immediate animosity between the two brothers. So, Godeper thought it would be a good idea to ask the Duke of Benevento in the south, to come and help him. The duke in question was Grimoald. He did come up to Pavia, and he very helpfully stabbed Godeper and married his sister for good measure, and made himself king in 662. Seeing how things were going, the other brother legged it off to the Franks, and promptly came back with a Frankish army. However, the Franks were defeated and pushed back around Asti in the Piedmont region in 663, helping to consolidate Grimoire's prestige and position. That same year, 663, saw the last attempt by a Byzantine emperor to try and personally intervene in Italy, when Constance II landed in Puglia and laid siege to Benevento. The quick intervention of the king forced the emperor to seek refuge first in Naples and then in Sicily, where he was assassinated by his chamberlain in the bath in the year 668. The reason for this may have been that the emperor was thinking of transferring the imperial capital from Constantinople 
back to Italy due to the great mounting pressure from the Arabs. This further victory consolidated Grimold's power even further, but not quite enough to keep all of the naughty dukes calm. Indeed, with the king down south, the Duke of Friuli in the northeast in Cividale, Lupus rebelled. Now, Grimold didn't want to be involved in a civil war among Lombards, and this sensibility also shows how they were progressing towards a single state and could have, in time, created an Italian nation like the Franks would do in France. Anyway, he decided to get the Avars involved. The more attentive listeners may remember that the Lombards had reached an agreement with the Avars before coming to Italy, leaving them the ex-Roman province of Pannonia. The Avars promptly came and defeated Lupus. However, Grimoald had solved one problem, but he now had a bunch of Avars sitting around in the northeast of his kingdom. His idea was to try and intimidate the Avars with a show of military force. The problem is that if you want to make a show of military force, you need a force to show, and at that time and in that location, the king didn't have much to work with. He did, on the other hand, have a pretty good brain in his head. He had his soldiers parade in front of the Avars, and as the first soldiers made their way out of the picture, he quickly had them change clothes and armour and go back and parade in front of the Avars again. He kept this up for quite a while, until the Avars started to get a little nervous and duly departed. It seems that the king had no lack of clever, sneaky ideas. In another episode, when once again it was the Franks making their way down, he had his troops abandon their camp full of food and especially loads of wine. The Frankish army, confident that they had put the enemy to flight, set to eating and especially drinking. When they were nice and stuffed and more than a bit tipsy, Grimwald charged right back into the camp and slaughtered the hungover Franks. After that, a treaty was signed which kept things on the border quiet for a while. The fun and games lasted for nine years until the death of King Grimwald in 671. As well as his ruthlessness in battle, he was also remembered as a generous and merciful king. His son, Romuald was not particularly interested in being king and contented himself with being the Duke of Benevento and going back to doing his own thing, which included extending the territory of the duchy to almost all of Puglia, the heel of the boot, except for the city of Otranto. Grimwald also had another son, Garibald, who was unfortunately a bit too young, so... Enter again, stage left, Perkterit, the son of King Aripert and the brother of Godeper, who had got himself stabbed. The policy of Perkterit ended up being rather helpful for the Catholic Church. After around nine years, he raised his son Cunipert to the throne, and he became a very influential figure very quickly. In that same year, 680, the Lombards signed an eternal peace with the Byzantines, which fixed the status quo. Percturit lasted another eight years, and he died in 688. This was a period in which the moment was favourable for
for a definitive Lombard expansion and consolidation. The Franks were involved in the struggle at the end of the Merovingian dynasty between the Merovingians themselves and the mayor of the palace, and the Byzantines were having big issues with the Arabs. However, also in the Lombard camp, not everyone was happy with the pro-Catholic turn things had been taking for a while, and the move away from elected kings and towards a dynastic system. This dissatisfaction resulted in open rebellion once again by the Duke of Trento and Brescia, Alakis, against King Cunipert. The rebellion culminated in the Battle of the Adda River in 693, in which the rebels were defeated. Cunipert made it all the way to the year 700, the year in which he died and left the reign to his young son, Liutpert. He went down in history as a great warrior and a well-loved king. He left his son in the care of a regent, the Duke of Asti, Ansprand. So, new Lombard king, what's the thing we should expect? That's right, a rebellion. The rebel this time was the Duke of Turin, Raginpert, or Raginpert, who usurped young Liutpert after only eight months on the throne. However, Agenpert also did not last long, and when he died a few months later, the young Liutpert was put back on the throne again, only to be deposed once again by Aripert II, son of Raginpert, and this time he drowned the young king, which made it very difficult for him to be put back on the throne again. Okay, did you get all of that? At this point, with Aripert II on the throne and his king dead, the regent, Ansprand, went into exile, leaving his family in the hands of the new king, who brutally murdered them all, except for the youngest son, Liutprand, who was later given back to his father, both with a burning thirst for revenge. Aripert II was able to last around ten years, maintaining good relations with the Pope and the Byzantines. He was very worried about the stability of his reign. He would put on disguises at night and roam around to hear what people thought about him and his nobles. When foreign delegates came to see him, he would look as shabby as possible so as not to invite invasion. Despite his caution, things didn't end up too well for Aripert. Our old buddy Ansbrand came marching over the Alps in 712 with an army supplied by the Bavarians. But Aripert actually made it and defeated him. However, he made the mistake of leaving the battlefield and heading to Pavia. His warriors took this as a sign of cowardice and abandoned him. At this point, Ari decided to leg it with as much as he could of the royal treasure, heading for the Franks. Unfortunately for him, treasure doesn't float, and as he tried to make it across the Ticino River, neither did he. That was the end of Aripert II. At this point, with a dead king and a guy sitting around Pavia with his own army, and Aripert's defected army, the Lombards thought that he might as well become king, and so Asprand became king.
Well, I imagine your brains are rather frazzled by all this messing around that the Lombards were doing. I know mine is. If you want to simplify, you can remember that we had Rothery with his written edict of laws, then a number of confusing kings, among which Grimwald was pretty cool, and then Anne's friend. Anyway, the remaining part of the Lombard reign is a little less confusing, I hope. Just a couple more considerations before we close up for this episode, to catch up on some administrative and social aspects, although we will look into these more closely next time. First of all, during the 7th century, and as we've seen at the beginning of the 8th century AD, there was a move away from the meritocratic election of great warriors as kings to a hereditary system. Although we've just been through a series of confusing changes, all the protagonists involved either had royal blood or sought quickly to marry into it, such as when Grimwald married the sister of Godeper. There was also a shift, starting from the very first moment the Lombards entered the peninsula, from certain established Roman cities to newer ones. For example, the city of Cividale grew and Aquileia declined, while Monselice grew and Padova declined. One last important aspect that changed was the relationship with the Italians. Indeed, although there was initially a great distance between the conquerors and the conquered, with a special effort made by the Lombards to maintain this separation, the people came closer together, starting from the lower levels of society, and eventually, when Italians were allowed into the army and into administration, going up the social ladder. This aspect can also be seen in the language. Indeed, by the 8th century, the language of the Lombards, which had no real written documents, almost disappeared into a slowly vulgarizing version of Latin. After all, the Latins did say, Verba volant scripta manent, words will fly, but what is written stays. In this new version, there were some words of Lombard influence that actually came all the way to modern Italian. Therefore, for example, a pillowcase is a federa, a tub is vasca, a bandage is benda, a coffin is bara, all words that have Lombard origin and are used in Italian today. Perhaps the most interesting is russare, which is to snore, and would you believe it, the word forfora, which is dandruff. So I suppose that means that these Lombards were rather careful about the care of their scalps. It is curious that many of these words regard people's everyday lives. And yet we don't know that much about the everyday lives of the Lombards, although archaeology is giving us more and more info. Anyway, we'll hopefully go through a few more stable kings next time, give or take a few, and get to the end of the Lombard reign in Italy. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Remember, as always, that if you want to get in touch, you can do so via email at hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, 
you can find the podcast and you can click through to our Facebook page or you can go to our YouTube channel and look at some documentaries on Italian cities and find all kinds of resources to help understand the history of Italy. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating and a review. And until next time, thanks very much again for listening and arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.